Blog Talk Radio. Listening to PGN Prophetic Grace Network. It is Sunday, May 28th of 2023. Today we are talking about the 144,000 first fruits prophecy in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation includes visions shown to John the Revelator. When he was caught up to heaven, these visions are moving pictures. Moving pictures are what we today call movies. There are two different kinds of movies, those that are fiction and those that are nonfiction. We call movies that are nonfiction documentaries. Documentaries document realities in the book of Revelation is a series of documentaries that reveal realities in our future, our soon coming future. So today we're talking about one of the documentaries in the book of Revelation. They are referred to as statements of prophecy in the Amplified Classic Translation of the Bible. These statements of prophecy, in other words, these documentaries of future realities soon to come, number 12. There are 12 disciples. And similarly, there are 12 statements of prophecy in the book of Revelation. I just use that to help us remember the number, not that there's a parallel necessarily. The 144,000 first fruits prophecy appears in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 14. It is the fifth statement of prophecy in the book of Revelation to give us a good foundation for understanding that prophecy, we're going to look at one of the books of the minor prophets today, Zechariah. And before we go there, let us talk about the number 144,000. So interestingly, that number is 12 times 12 times 1,000. As you know, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Each tribe reflects one of the sons of Jacob. And in the book of Revelation, the number 144,000 appears three times. The first time is in Revelation chapter 7. The seven seals prophecy in Revelation chapter 7. It is noted That in the end, in the end, when all Israel is saved, there will be 12,000 for each of tribes of Israel. And each of 
the tribes is mentioned. And so we have 12 tribes, and each tribe has at the end when all Israel is saved, when all Israel has the mark of God placed on their foreheads, which is the true mark. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit. The mark of God is a true mark. It tells us in Revelation chapter 7 that each of the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes has the mark of God, the seal of God placed on them before any harm comes to the trees and the grass. And the third thing is mentioned too. Let's go there so that we can hear that together. Um, so what about this 144,000? 12 tribes times 12,000 gives us 144,000. So we're going to hear where that's mentioned and how all Israel is saved. And then we're going to talk about specifically the 144,000 first fruits prophecy. Let's get this foundation. Let's go briefly to the seven seals prophecy, then to Zechariah, and finally, finally, let's unlock the secrets of the 144,000 first fruits prophecy in the book of Revelation. So in chapter 7, we have the first of the 12 documentaries that reveal future realities, soon coming realities. That's the seven seals prophecy. And let's hear about that number, 12 times 12,000. It says, beginning with verse 4 and to verse 8. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. So you hear that, the seal of God, it says, and I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. So that number, those individuals are mentioned in the seven seals prophecy, but their story in other words, what are the details about the 144,000? They have their own prophecy, although they're mentioned in another documentary. So we can watch a documentary about the 2020 election, and in that documentary, Joe Biden may be mentioned, but if it's a documentary about Donald Trump in the 2020 election is going to focus primarily on Donald Trump, even though Joe Biden is mentioned. So in the seven seals prophecy, the 144,000 are mentioned, but their story, the key events for the 144,000 from the perspective of God is in its own documentary. This happens over and over again in the book of Revelation. We have 12 documentaries all focused on either the events leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the events that follow. Those are the focuses, uh, I should say the foci, of the documentaries of the book of Revelation. Many things are mentioned in all of the documentaries, all the statements of prophecy, but certain events have their own 
statement of prophecy. Let me go through those, uh, some of those briefly, give you a few examples. The Battle of Armageddon is mentioned in the seven seals prophecy, in the seven trumpets prophecy, in the earth reaped prophecy, but there is a documentary that focuses on the Battle of Armageddon, and that's in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21, the marriage supper prophecy. Okay, let me give you one other example. The reality of the great white throne judgment where those who have taken the mark of the beast are judged and ultimately found guilty and therefore sentenced to eternal damnation that is mentioned in the earth reap prophecy revelation chapter 14 beginning with verse 6 until the end but the dead judged prophecy where the judgment actually happens and how it happens all those details are in the dead judged prophecy revelation chapter 20 verses 11 to 15 so what's my take home point We're talking about the 144,000. It's mentioned in the Seven Seals Prophecy, but to get the full story, the key events and issues related to the 144,000 uh, in the book of Revelation, we'll look at that prophecy, which is chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. The basic study notes for the 144,000 First Fruits Prophecy appears on the PGN website blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic so you don't have to write all these things down the basic study notes are there for you now what about this 144,000 so in the seven seals prophecy the first time this number is mentioned it says and I heard how many were marked with the seal of God 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel from Judah 12,000 from Reuben 12,000 from Gad 12,000 from Asher 12,000 from Naphtali 12,000 from Manasseh 12,000 from Simeon 12,000 from Levi 12,000 from Issachar 12,000 from Zebulon 12,000 from Joseph 12,000 from Benjamin 12,000 so 12,000 times 12 is 144,000 now it says, I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. So the seal of God is the mark of God. In verse 3 of chapter 7, it says, wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Now you might say, well, wait a minute. Why are there only 144,000? Well, this is talking about a specific event. This is talking about what happens prior to God fighting and winning the Battle of Armageddon on behalf of who? All Israel. You say, well, what do you mean all Israel? Everyone who is in Israel, who has stayed in Israel despite the fact 
that the one world government, the Ten Nation Alliance, mentioned in Revelation chapter 13, Daniel chapter 7, despite the fact that the world, most of the world will turn against Israel again. The Antichrist will be planning for a second Holocaust. He and the armies of the nations who are the enemies of God will traverse the path of the Euphrates River coming into Israel and Jerusalem for the purpose of capturing those biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those biological descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that represent the 12 tribes of Israel that are there because they have been worshiping in the rebuilt temple, the third temple, which is shortly to be rebuilt once the peace-sharing agreement comes to pass. Now, let's talk about this timing, that day. So over and over again in the Bible, it says, on that day, so if you're reading uh, Hosea or you're reading Zechariah or you're reading Amos, it says over and over again, on that day. So as God was speaking to the prophets, he would tell them things often about what was happening at that time, but then he would break into what was on his heart and mind, the overarching issue. What's that? That's the Battle of Armageddon. That's what happens after, after all who have come to Christ transition from mortality to immortality. So you can imagine as important as your pain is, as important as my pain is, as important as just fill in the blank. We all have pain. We all have problems. We all have trials and tribulations. But in the end, every person who is in Christ will be victorious. In the end, every person who is in Christ will transition from mortality to immortality. When does this happen? The marriage of the Lamb, the transition from mortality to immortality, the joining Jesus Christ, God manifests in the flesh, in a physical, tangible, peak performance body, just like the one Jesus Christ has, the one that he has promised every believer, that is the marriage. That is the marriage, the marriage of the Lamb. When Jesus Christ gets his forever family, he gets his bride. Who's the bride? Every person in Christ, and he gets his bride in a physical, tangible body in the same way that when a man marries a woman, he is in a tangible body and she is in a tangible body. When we marry Jesus Christ, when we become a part of his forever family, that happens at the timing of the first resurrection. It is the first resurrection. So what's on that day? We're about to talk about on that day. So on that day, 
talking about the Battle of Armageddon, that is the wedding supper. It happens, the marriage supper. Some translations refer to it as the marriage supper, some as uh, the the wedding supper, some as the wedding feast, some as the wedding banquet. We're talking about the same thing. We're talking about the Battle of Armageddon. Now, that's referred to as that day. Let us go to talking about that day because we need to know about that day because that has to do with the 144,000. Now, in Zechariah, in Zechariah, we're going to hear in chapters 12, 13, and 14 about that day. Now, it says in chapter 12 of Zechariah, this message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. Now, you say, well, why are we talking about the fate of Israel? The harvest includes three parts. Now, what's the harvest? That's God's forever family. That's those who participate in the marriage of the Lamb. It includes three parts. We say, research scientists, what are the three parts? The three parts include those who have died in Christ. In other words, every believer who is in heaven we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that they are the first to transition from mortality to immortality, the first uh, specifically to rise up, having put on their new peak performance glorified, perfected, immortal bodies. The second part of the harvest is those of us who are here on the earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We, too, transition from mortality to immortality. But there's a third part of the harvest. That's the 144,000. That's the 144,000. So Paul tells us this secret in Romans chapter 11. He says in verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery. So as you know, the 144,000 is a mystery. Yesterday, I was driving through downtown Silver Spring, Maryland. And there was a, a group of people, they wear uh, some special outfits that are purple, and they talk about the Bible, and they have a, a teaching on 144,000, and it goes something like, the Dominicans are this tribe of Israel, and the Puerto Ricans are this tribe of Israel, and African Americans, and it goes on like that. But we're not talking about the teachings of men. We're talking about the teachings of the Bible. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 11 says, I want you to understand this mystery. So my point is that the 144,000 is a mystery. We need to go to the Bible to unlock the secrets. And uh, that's what God is doing here on PGN, unlocking the secrets of the end of the age. And on this specific PGN program, we unlock the secrets of the book of Revelation through the Holy Spirit who inspires me and us. So what does Paul tell us in Romans chapter 11? I want you to understand this mystery. 
Dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts. Now, what does that mean? In the book of Romans, it talks about how there are those who are uh, biological descendants of Abraham and Sarah specifically, who have not received Jesus Christ, and that the failure to receive Jesus Christ reflects having a hard heart. So that's discussed over and over again. So here he says in Romans chapter 11, some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. Now, remember, he started off by saying, I want you to understand this mystery. So the hard hearts, not receiving Jesus Christ, it will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. The full number. What's the full number? When the last person who is not in Israel and not a biological Jew comes to Christ. Then it says, and so all Israel will be saved. Let me say that again. And so all Israel will be saved. And so all Israel will be saved. Now, in Romans and elsewhere in the Bible, it says so many are lost. You know, being a biological Jew doesn't mean that uh, one's name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. No. In order for one's name to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, one must find and follow God's plan for salvation. One must receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, when will the 144,000 do that? When will all Israel be saved? Let's hear about when all Israel will be saved in Zechariah. You need an understanding of Zechariah to unlock the secrets of the 144,000. Let's go to it. Zechariah chapter 12. We're going to look at chapters 12, 13, and 14. It says, this message concerning the fate of Israel came from the Lord. This message is from the Lord, who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth, and formed the human spirit. I will make Jerusalem like an intoxicating drink that makes the nearby nations stagger when they send their armies to besiege Jerusalem and Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it. Now, what does that mean? All the nations and on that day, we're talking about what's going to happen. On that day, which is the day of the Battle of Armageddon, it says, On that day I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. Now remember, the Battle of Armageddon is a local war. It's a war waged in righteousness. We're told in Revelation chapter 19. It's a local war. It's fought in a specific place. I think you see where I'm going. It's fought in Jerusalem. It's not fought in Washington, D.C. It's not fought in uh, London. It's not fought in 
Mexico City. It's not fought in Geneva. It's not fought in Tokyo. It's not fought in Beijing. You know, these are all great places. It's not fought in uh, Austin, okay, or Atlanta. It's fought in a specific country and in a specific location, which is Israel and Jerusalem. It says, on that day, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock. All the nations will gather against it to try to move it, but they will only hurt themselves. Then it says, going down to verse 4, on that day, says the Lord, I will cause every horse to panic and every rider to lose his nerve. I will watch over the people of Judah, but I will blind all the horses of their enemies. And the clans of Judah will say to themselves, the people of Jerusalem have found strength in the Lord of heaven's armies, their God. On that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze or like a burning torch among sheaves of grain. Now, that's very interesting. I will make the clans of Judah like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze or like a burning torch among sheaves of grain. So how are they burning people? How are they like a flame? It says they will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left while the people living in Jerusalem remain secure. How are they going to burn up the nations right and left when it says elsewhere that uh, the women are raped, the houses are looted, and a large percentage of the people will be taken captive before Jesus Christ returns on that day? So this is telling us ultimately what's going to happen. Ultimately, all Israel, they will be empowered to burn up all the neighboring nations right and left while they in Jerusalem remain secure. Ultimately, that's what's going to happen at the end. Now, how does it happen? It says the Lord will give victory to the rest of Judah first before Jerusalem. So that the people of Jerusalem and the royal line of David will not have greater honor than the rest of Judah. On that day, again, what day are we talking about? The day of the battle of Armageddon. The Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem. How's he going to do that? He's going to return with the armies of heaven. As described in Revelation 19 in the marriage supper prophecy. That's the prophecy about the battle of Armageddon. Now hear this part. We're continuing. On that day, the Lord will defend the people of Jerusalem. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. We have to pause there. How in the world can the weakest among them be as mighty as King David? If, and it is the case, we're going to hear that the houses are looted, the women are raped, and a large percentage of uh, those in Israel are taken captive. So how, how is that possible if the weakest among them is as mighty as King David? They don't become as mighty as King David until the seal of God is placed on their forehead, as described in the seven seals prophecy. 
when Jesus Christ returns to fight and win the battle of Armageddon on their behalf, before he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon on their behalf, they have to see him. And when they see him and realize that he's their Messiah and he's come to fight and win the battle of Armageddon on their behalf, they receive him. And when they receive him, they become a part of the harvest. And in order to protect them and to empower them, empower them for what? To empower them to be like a flame, it says, like a flame that sets a wood pile ablaze. They will burn up all the neighboring nations right and left. How are they going to do that? They're going to be made as mighty as King David. How can they be mighty when they're weak? They're going to get that seal of God as described in Revelation chapter 7. And when that seal of God, the mark of God is placed on their forehead, they are the third and final part of the harvest. All the Gentiles, the full number has come in. They are the last. All of Israel, all who are waiting for their Messiah to come, all who have refused to leave Jerusalem, the Antichrist will have taken over the temple. They will have defiled the rebuilt temple on the Temple Mount. The Jews will be worshiping in their rebuilt temple before the Antichrist defiles it, and he puts an end to the sacrifices. The Muslims will be worshiping in their mosque on the Temple Mount. The armies of the world will listen to the Antichrist and the false prophet who say, we're going to bring peace. We're going to bring peace to this world. The Antichrist is going to say that he's God, and he's going to say, you know how I'm going to bring peace to the world? I'm going to destroy Israel. He'll go from being a defender of Israel, a champion of Israel, to being its worst enemy. But Jesus Christ, it says the Lord will give victory. How's he going to give victory? The angels put that mark of God, the seal of God on their foreheads, and they become as mighty as King David, it says. Let's continue. On that day, the Lord will defend the people of Israel. The weakest among them will be as mighty as King David. And the royal descendants will be like God. Now, how can these people, it says they're royal descendants. What does that mean? These are God's people. Every person who transitions from mortality to immortality becomes a member of the royal race. And those who are biological Jews, who are a part of the harvest, they are descendants of King David. It says, and the royal descendants will be like God. Well, what does it mean to be like God? Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He's in a peak performance glorified body. It can rise up. It can ascend. It can fly. It is free of the curse. It cannot be destroyed. So when they transition from mortality to immortality, their bodies cannot be destroyed. Their bodies are peak performance, glorified, perfected, immortal bodies. And in that way, just as it says here in the Bible, and the royal descendants will be like God. Then in verse 9, it says, for on that day, I will begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. 
What day is that? The Battle of Armageddon. So in other words, for on that day, the day of the Battle of Armageddon, Jesus tells us he's going to begin to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, what about how they receive Jesus? So we already know that on that day, the weakest among them will be as strong as King David, and they will be like God. So in other words, they're transitioning from mortality to immortality. But what about uh, what happened when they realized that they had had hardened hearts? What does that mean? When you go from being an unbeliever to being a believer, that means that you no longer have a hardened heart. When you receive Jesus, now your heart is in a right place. Now what happens uh, to all Israel when Jesus returns, what, what is that like for them emotionally? It says this in verse 10 of chapter 12 of Zechariah. They will look on me, who's they? All Israel, all the royal descendants who are going to be like God. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Now, why does it say whom they have pierced? They are the biological descendants of their forefathers and four. Mothers, In other words, they are Israel, biological Israel. So as the sons and daughters of those who pierced Jesus as he lay there on the cross, and as those who had rejected Jesus, they are the ones who pierce them. So it says here, they will look on me whom they have pierced, who's they, Israel, and mourn for him as for an only son. They will grieve bitterly for him as for a firstborn son who has died. The sorrow and mourning in Jerusalem on that day will be like the great mourning for Hadad Ryman in the valley of Megiddo. All Israel will mourn, each clan by itself and with the husband separate from their wives. And then it says a little bit more about that morning. So uh, imagine when you realize that the God who's come to save you, you had rejected. And not only had you rejected, but you come from the people who had actually pierced him. That might cause some kind of sorrow. That might cause some kind of sorrow that happened to you. Well, we see here that it will cause sorrow, great sorrow, for uh, those who are there on that day. Now, let's continue. What else about that day? And all Israel who was there when Jesus Christ returns to fight and win the Battle of Armageddon on their behalf, it says, Let's go to verse 9 of chapter 13. No, let's go to verse 8. Um, it begins 
chapter 13, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven, arm, heaven's armies, I will erase idol worship throughout the land so that even the names of the idols will be forgotten. I will remove from the land both the false prophets and the spirit of impurity that came with them. How many of you know they're false prophets? They're in Israel. They're in America. I imagine they're everywhere. But he's going to remove all the false prophets from Israel on that day. Now let's continue to verse 8. It says, Two-thirds of the people in the land will be cut off and die, says the Lord. But one-third will be left in the land. Then continuing later in verse 9, it says, They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, These are my people, and they will say, The Lord is our God. So finally, they will say, Jesus Christ is our God. Jesus Christ is our Messiah. Now let's continue the final of chapter of uh, Zechariah, talking again about that day. Verse 2 of chapter 14 says, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. So what's going to happen? When the Antichrist and the armies led uh by the generals, under the leadership of the Antichrist and the false prophet, they are going to take Jerusalem, okay? It says in the Bible, chapter 16, chapters 15 and 16, and the seven final plagues prophecy that the sixth and final plague is that the Euphrates River will be dried up supernaturally for the purpose of creating a path for the armies to come to Jerusalem so that they can come to precisely, specifically, exactly the location that has been foreordained as the location for the Battle of Armageddon. Now, when they do that, they're going to enter Jerusalem. It says the city will be taken, the houses looted, and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity. This is horrible. This is horrible. But if you know the prophecies of the Bible, if you know the prophecies of the Bible, you know how it ends. You know that the weakest among them will be as strong as King David. You know that the seal of God will be placed on their forehead. You know that they will transition from mortality to immortality. You know that they will be like a flame. And they're going to ultimately be empowered to burn up their enemies. But before that happens, it says, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. The houses looted and the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity. And the rest will be left among the ruins of the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. So that's telling us it's going to be very ugly. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be a time of significant distrust. It says, then, after these things happen, so after half the population of Israel is taken into captivity, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. When does he go out to fight against those nations? After the first resurrection. That's the marriage of the land. Then there's the marriage supper, the battle of Armageddon. 
So after the first resurrection, the marriage supper comes, which is here, verse 3, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations. It says in verse 4, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Then it says um, in verse 6, on that day, the sources of light will no longer shine. Yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. Notice in the seven seals prophecy and the seven trumpets prophecy, it talks about these things. How the day becomes dark and the sun becomes dark and all these different things. Um, again, we have another description here in Zechariah about the day of the Battle of Armageddon. It says, on that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light. Then it says in verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Now, how will he be king? When Jesus Christ was here as the lamb, he died on the cross. But when he returns, he returns as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He returns to fight and win a war waged in righteousness. He comes to fight and win the battle of Armageddon on whose behalf? On Israel's behalf, and all Israel will be saved, it says in Romans chapter 11. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. Well, when is Jesus king of over, over all the earth? When he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon, when the governments of man are put down and the government of Jesus Christ is established. When does that happen? After he fights and wins the battle of Armageddon. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. Now think about today. Now we know we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ, about when he returns, because it says on that day, his name alone will be worshipped. Today, many names are worshipped. The name of Allah is worshipped. The name of Buddha is worshipped. The name of uh, Shiva is worshipped. Just We can keep going. Many gods are worshipped today. So we know that we're talking about a day that is yet to come. Because when Jesus Christ returns, it says, On that day there will be one Lord, his name alone. His name alone, let me say it one more time, his name alone will be worshipped. Worship where? On the earth. So we know we're coming about a day to come. And again, we're talking about and on that day. What's that day? That's the day of the Battle of Armageddon. The war to end all wars. There will never, ever be another war after the Battle of Armageddon is fought and won. It says, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. Let's continue down to verse 11 in Zechariah 14. And Jerusalem will be filled safe at last, never again to be cursed and destroyed. Now, when has Jerusalem been safe? 
It hasn't happened in my lifetime. And in fact, it hasn't happened in your lifetime. And in fact, it hasn't happened in thousands of years. It's not going to happen with the peace agreement that is signed that allows Israel to rebuild its third temple. People are going to say, oh, we finally have peace and the Antichrist is going to emerge. People are going to uh, believe that he is the greatest man uh, of our time. And then he's going to declare that he's God and he's going to say that he's going to bring peace to the world and to Jerusalem. And how he's going to bring peace to the world is he's going to destroy Israel with a second Holocaust, but it isn't going to happen. Why? Because Jesus Christ is going to return on that day. And on that day, all Israel will be saved. And verse 11 tells us of Zechariah, and Jerusalem will be filled, safe at last, never again to be cursed and destroyed. Now, what else is going to happen at the Battle of Armageddon? This is so good. This is so good. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 12 says, And the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Listen, friend, if you're in a country, if you're in a country that comes into agreement with the Antichrist, who will say that the Jews are our problem, the Jews are our problem. And then he's going to say the church is our problem. And we've got to take out Israel. And we're told in uh, Ezekiel certain nations are going to send their armies. Ethiopia is one of those nations. Libya is one of those nations. Russia is one of those nations. If you're in a country that the Bible says is going to send an army to join the armies that come against Israel at the end, you want to pray and ask God what you should do. Here's why. And the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. You don't want to be among the nations that fight against Jerusalem. You don't want to be an enemy of God. Why not? It says, and the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem. Their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away. Now, that, that is worse than COVID. In COVID, people struggle with their breathing. Some people stopped breathing. Uh, some believers and unbelievers lost their lives due to COVID. If, now, if you're a believer and you die in Christ, you're resting from your labor in heaven right now. It's really not a big deal. You're in a temporary location. You're coming back. Coming back where? To earth. This present earth at the time of the second coming of Jesus Christ, we're told in First Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, what about that day? If you're in an enemy nation, it says, and the Lord will send a plague on all the nations that fought against Jerusalem, their people will become like walking corpses, their flesh rotting away, their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. On that day, they will be terrified, stricken by the Lord with great panic. They will fight with their neighbors hand to hand. Judah, too, will be fighting at Jerusalem. The wealth of all the neighboring nations will be captured. Great quantity quantities of gold and silver and fine clothing, the same plague will strike the horses, mules, 
camels, donkeys, and all the other animals in the enemy camps. Friend, Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, he's coming as the lion of tribe of Judah. And a two-edged sword will extend from his mouth, we're told, in Revelation 19. And he will use it to strike down the armies that have come against Israel. And beyond the armies, 100% of the armies lose their lives. What about those nations? So their armies are destroyed. But what about the fact that these nations... Aligned with the Antichrist, they became an enemy of God. These nations, they are going to be punished too. How are they going to be punished? Their people will become like walking corpses, it says. Their flesh rotting away. Now, what about the 144,000? We heard at the beginning of this, Ultimately, what happened to the 144,000, to all Israel? How each one, the weakest, the weakest is as mighty as King David. Now, let's go back to the 144,000. How does it all begin? Verse 3 of chapter 7 in the book of Revelation says, Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. Now, where are they right now? They're in Israel. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. 144,000 were sealed from all the tribes of Israel. Why were they sealed? Because Jesus Christ is about to fight and win the battle of Armageddon. There's about to be harm that's coming to the trees and to the land and to the sea. And so they have to be saved. They have to transition from mortality to immortality so that they can participate in the battle of Armageddon. Now, we've heard all about it. All about what? That day. What's going to happen on that day? How all Israel will be saved on that day? How they're all going to get the mark of God on their forehead after Many are taken into captivity after the houses are looted and the women uh, raped. How not all of them are going to survive, unfortunately. Some will lose their lives. But all who remain and who are there at the time of his second coming will be saved. So we heard about that in Zechariah 12. 13 and 14. Now, let us hear in the book of Revelation important details about the 144,000. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Let's pause there. We know who the 144,000 are. It's not those of us who are in Texas or Atlanta or Maryland or Mexico or in uh, Senegal, Ireland, 
Japan, China, Australia, listen, don't be mad about this. Let us understand what God is communicating. It's not a special group of Christians who are in the 144,000. It is all Israel who are there at the specific location where the Battle of Armageddon is going to be fought and won. Now what's happening? They're standing with the Lamb on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And you know how they got that name on their foreheads. You heard about it in Revelation chapter 7. This happened before harm comes to the land and the trees and the sea. Now, ultimately, what's their story? And I heard... A sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. Now, you might say, I want to know more details about exactly what happens at the Battle of Armageddon. Well, it's described in Zechariah 12, in Zechariah 13, in Zechariah 14, in Revelation 19, verses 6 to 21, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah. So the Battle of Armageddon is described many places in the book of Revelation, Ezekiel 37, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 21. But right now, the Bible is saying, well, what is the story of the 144,000 ultimately? So we know that they're all saved, that they're victorious, that they're a part of the harvest, that they transition from mortality to immortality, that the weakest among them becomes as mighty as King David, that they become like flames of fire, that they become like God, in other words, like Jesus Christ, in a peak performance glorified body. What else about them? Well, we hear more about their story. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 14 says, And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God. And before the four living beings and the 24 elders, no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Let's pause there for a second. Now, these are people who saw their women raped. These are people who saw their houses looted. These are people who saw their temple, their place of worship, desecrated. These are people who have been through the greatest tragedy that any human being could experience with the exception of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And so what is is their reward? Have you heard of something called trauma bonding? So psychologists talk about trauma bonding, how people have been through a certain traumatic experience together. They have a a bond. Well, you can have a trauma bond, which is maybe negative, maybe positive. You can have a bond that God gives you with people that's positive, a bond where You've been through things together, and he takes you through that thing, and he gives you a way to connect positively. These 144,000, they've been through something traumatic. They have a special bond. It says that they are a special group 
to Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not special or I'm not special because you're in Texas or Atlanta or you're in the United Kingdom or you're in uh, you're in Chile or Venezuela. If I didn't say specifically where you are, uh, don't be offended by that. Every person in Christ will be victorious and a part of the harvest. Every person, 100%. But these 144,000, they are connected together in a positive way now. They learn a special song, praise God. No one could earn, no one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins. What does that mean? If you dabble in witchcraft, if you're seeing the psychic, if you're doing the tarot, if you're reading the horoscope, you're committing adultery. The book of Revelation uses this metaphor several times to explain what it means to cheat on God, to give your heart, to give yourself to something else other than your creator. When a person does that, now the person is impure. Now the person is impure. So these individuals, once they have made Jesus Christ their Messiah, they don't turn back. Once they have found and followed God's plan for salvation, they don't go worshiping Allah or Buddha or Baal or Moloch. They stay with their God, keeping themselves pure. How pure is pure as a virgin? Their hearts are pure. They only have a heart for Jesus Christ, and it tells us, they have kept themselves as pure as virgins. This is their story. Ultimately, what happens following the lamb wherever he goes. So now, after all this happens, they fight and win the battle of Armageddon with Jesus Christ. Each, uh, it says they go to burn up the neighboring, uh, the neighboring countries. The weakest among them is mighty as King David. So you might say, I want to know more about the Battle of Armageddon. That's, that story is told many places. But ultimately, what happens? They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And it says, they have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies. They are without blame. Do you know that the temple is important to God? Solomon built the first temple, Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, and this third temple that's going to be rebuilt, it matters to God. It's mentioned in Revelation, I believe it's in chapter 11, in the seven trumpets prophecy, it matters to God, his home. One of the worst things a human being can experience is to be homeless. So when God has no place to be worshipped, he's homeless. When there's no place to worship God on the earth, he's homeless. That matters to him. So these people, all Israel who stays in Jerusalem, 
because they believe that that land has been promised to them. They are doing the sacrifices that they were commanded to do in the old covenant, not realizing yet, because their hearts are hardened, that the old covenant has been replaced with the new covenant. But when they come to that knowledge, when they see their Messiah return, as described in Zechariah, they will mourn, realizing that they had pierced him. At the same time, God saves them, all of them, all Israel will be saved. How many? It's going to be 144,000. Now, ultimately, again, what's their story? In the future, it says, they have told no lies. They are without blame. So that is the 144,000 first fruits prophecy. I want to take us to the Battle of Armageddon. So the Battle of Armageddon is in Revelation chapter 19. So we're talking about the 144,000 and how they participate in the Battle of Armageddon as described in Zechariah, how they are a part of the harvest, how they transition from mortality to immortality, how the weakest among them becomes as mighty as King David. Now what about this Battle of Armageddon? And we're going to be talking about it in great detail in September of this year. We're going to go verse by verse. But let us hear now some of the details of the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 11 of chapter 19, here it is. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Now, when is he raging the righteous war on that day, the day we've been talking about? His eyes were like flame of fire, flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. We're talking about Jesus Christ. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Now, let me pause for a second. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. He's coming from heaven, but if the marriage of the lamb happens before the marriage supper, how does it all work? Well, we're told that we're going to rise up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds. So we're rising up to meet him, and at some point, he goes back to heaven. But you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because it says, then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Let's continue. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. So here it is, verse 17 announces that the wedding banquet, the marriage supper is here. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So finally, in verse 19, we're there. We're there. We're there on that day. The harvest of earth's crop has already happened. What does that mean? Every person in heaven has already transitioned from mortality to immortality. Every person on the earth has already transitioned from mortality to immortality. And we have uh, risen up to meet Jesus Christ in the clouds. That's already happened. You say, well, where are we? That's a good question. I'm not sure I have the answer to that. Some say we all participate in the battle of Armageddon. Some say it's only those who are invited. But for now, let us talk about that day where where what is happening with the battle of armageddon every person who's a believer is safe we say how are you safe you transition from mortality to immortality the battle of armageddon cannot harm you you are in a body that's a peak performance immortal glorified perfected body just like the 144,000 they have transitioned from mortality to immortality as well. And they, we are told, will participate for sure in the Battle of Armageddon, as described in Zechariah. Verse 19 of Revelation. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. So we're there. It's, it's time for the Super Bowl. It's time for the Super Bowl. Antichrist on one side, Jesus on the other side, the armies of heaven with Jesus on one side, the armies of the world with the Antichrist and the false prophet on the other side. Here we are. Let's continue. Verse 20. And the beast was captured. So we've been waiting thousands of years for this moment of time. When it happens, what's going to happen? Is it anticlimactic? I don't know. Maybe. It says, and the beast was captured. Who's the beast? The Antichrist. And with him, the false prophet. So these are uh, part of Satan's crew. So there's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. So first, his two key leaders are destroyed. Let's hear about it. And the beast was captured, and with him, the false prophet, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshipped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's the end for them. They go into the fiery lake. That's eternal damnation. That's where the body goes uh, for the eternities of eternities for every person and thing that is not in Christ. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the horse. Who's that? 
Jesus Christ. So in other words, the entire army of the Antichrist and the false prophet will be killed by Jesus Christ, who has a sharp sword that extends from his mouth. Then it says, love this last part, and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Friend, that sounds horrible, but think about this. Revelation 14 tells us that there be 180 mouths of blood and carnage. How's all that going to be cleaned up? God in his wisdom has a plan. Here it is in Revelation 21. And the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Now, what happens after this? What happens after the battle of Armageddon? So the Antichrist and the false prophet are destroyed. But what about Satan? What happens to Satan? Let's hear it. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. So what does that mean? Once the government of Jesus Christ begins, that happens after the battle of Armageddon. And in that same timing, Satan, instead of being thrown into the lake of fire, he's thrown into the bottomless pit. So he does not go to hell. In other words, he doesn't go to eternal damnation immediately. The Antichrist and the false prophet do. At the Battle of Armageddon, they're destroyed. But Satan, we're told in chapter 20, verse 1, he's bound in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked, so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Now, let me say this briefly. The millennial reign, the first thousand years of the government of Jesus Christ is a transition period. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. When Jesus returns, we're set. We're home free. No, we're not. No, we're not. You say, well, why not? If Satan is not destroyed, then we know we're not home free. You say, well, why wouldn't he be destroyed? I don't decide that. Why is the earth round instead of in the shape of a triangle? Why is the sky blue instead of pink? Why am I five foot four instead of six foot one? You know, the creator decides these things. So let's, let's not talk about why, but what. What is true? The millennial reign is a transition period. Now, it's going to be awesome. Why? Because you're going to be, as a believer, in your peak performance body. You'll be in your body that can never, ever be destroyed. You'll be back on this new earth if you have died. You'll be back. If you're here at the timing of the second coming, you'll never, ever die. But you, too, will be in your peak performance glorified body. So that's amazing. That's awesome. That being said, that being said, there will be mortals on the earth. There will be people who survive the Battle of Armageddon, not any of the people in the armies, right? But in these enemy nations and other places of the world, there will be some people who survive, we're told, in the Bible. And we're not yet at a place where there's no more death, no more grief, no more mourning, no more sorrow, uh, no more pain, no more suffering. 
until death is destroyed and we're on the new earth, we're not home free. We're in a transition period. Now, let's get to the end of this thing. When is Satan destroyed? Verse 10 of chapter 20. So we're in the same chapter. It says, then the devil who had deceived them, when is this? A thousand years later, right? It tells us at the beginning, Satan's in the bottomless pit, but only for a thousand years. Now the thousand years has ended. Verse 10 of chapter 20 says, Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Awesome. Millennial reign is a transition period. When do we get to the new earth? Let's continue in chapter 20. Verse 13 says, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Who's that? All who didn't make the first resurrection. All who are in the realm of the dead, in a prison of darkness, awaiting the great white throne judgment. So after Satan is destroyed, then we get to that. The sea gives up its dead, and death and the grave give up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Now, we're about to get to the new earth. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. Hallelujah. When death is thrown into the lake of fire, it's destroyed. Nothing else will ever, ever die again. The curse is gone. Now, when your beloved dog or cat or rabbit, when it dies, why does it die? Because just like human beings, animals are under the curse. You say, well, how can this beautiful tree die because it's under the curse? How can my wonderful grandmother who never, ever harmed a fly, how could she die because she's under the curse? But hallelujah, Revelation 20 tells us. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. So death will be destroyed. There will never, ever be anything or anyone who dies again when death is destroyed. Then it says in verse 15, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. All those people who want to commit adultery, they want to go see the psychic, they want to worship false gods, they want to commit adultery, they want to lie, they want to steal, they want to uh, be in sexual immorality. All these people are destroyed. What does that mean? They transition to a new location, specifically the lake of fire, that's where they will reside in their bodies, experiencing eternal damnation forever and ever in the fiery lake that burns with sulfur and brimstone. So that's the end of the age. Then we transition to the new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. So, friend, I hope that this has been a good discussion for you. I hope that you are encouraged to know that the 144,000, they are a part of the harvest, and all Israel will be saved. And Jesus Christ is returning to fight and win a war waged in righteousness. It will be the last war that's ever fought. It will be the last war that's ever fought 
on this present earth and the new earth to come. Now, friend and truth seeker, I want you to think about where you are. Are you positioned to get your passport? In other words, will you be allowed to participate in the marriage of the Lamb? Or will you be required to participate in the great white throne judgment? Those are the only two pathways for all who are a part of humanity. Either a person is on his or her way to the new earth or a person is on his or her way to the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and brimstone. Either a person has his or her name written in the Lamb's Book of Life or does not. Either a person is a sheep or a goat, among the wheat or the tares, among the good fish or the bad fish, has been to mediation or has failed to go to mediation. If you have failed to go to mediation, God still has a case against you. You say, well, why would God have a case against me? I give to the homeless. I take care of my mother and father. I'm a good mom. I'm a great dad. I'm a fantastic neighbor. I give, uh, I give to the poor. I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice woman. I'm, you know, you start listing these things. Don't be deceived, friend. All have sinned. We inherited the propensity to sin from Adam. We cannot avoid it. But God has given us a way to get in right standing with him so that our case can be settled, so that he won't have a case against us. If a person has sinned, God has a case against that individual. Now, you might say, well, the most that I did was I, I stole a piece of candy when I was a kid. That was it. That's a sin. That counts. God has a case against you. We say, well, I, you know, the worst thing that I ever did was I thought a wrong thought. Well, one sin is no different from one trillion sins in the sense that one sin qualifies for a case. So don't start thinking, man, it, it, I'm, I'm a saint relative to my neighbor. Or man, if you compare me to my brother, you know that I'm a great guy. I'm a good guy. Or man, considering my parents, I am an amazing human being. You have no idea what I've endured. Friend, not like that we are evaluated relative to a standard and in order to live with a perfect God we have to be perfect what does that mean we have to allow God to perfect us we have to allow God to pay for our sin debt we have to allow God to transition us from mortality to immortality now, how do you do that Acts 2:38 says this Peter replied each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn 
to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say only Lewis and Jacob need to repent of their sins and turn to God. He doesn't say most of you need to repent of your sins and turn to God. He says each of you. Who's each? That means me. That means you. And it says, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, not or, or or maybe. It says, for the forgiveness of your sins. Some translations say, for the remission of your sins. For payment of your sins. Let me read a few uh, translations of this for you. Let's look at a few uh Translations of Acts 2.38. So the King James Version says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the Amplified Classic says, And Peter answered them, Repent. Change your views and purpose to accept the will of God in your inner selves instead of rejecting it. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of and release from your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to get God residing on the inside of you, a 24-hour counselor that you have access to when you follow God's plan for salvation. We're going to continue in June, July, August, September, October, November, and December talking about the book of Revelation, unlocking the secrets of the book of Revelation by the grace of God. Thank you for being with me and with us today. I want to invite you to share your comments questions you can text 24 7 the pgn text number is 1-214-505-8719 1-214-505-8719 during the live internet broadcast you can use our pgn phone number 1319 that's 1319-527-6027 remember everything on pgn is always 100 percent free that means that if you want access to the basic study notes for this talk and every talk for this program, Secrets Revealed, Understand the Book of Revelation from Start to Finish, you can go to blogtalkradio.com backslash live prophetic to get the one-page basic study notes. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you, according to Jeremiah 33.3, call out to God. He promises to show you great and mighty secrets that you do not know.